Hello, wonderful humans. Welcome back to the TFC Audio Project. On this episode of Health Conversations, my guest is John Lindsay. John's part of the TFC Footwear Testing Squad, and he's putting out some awesome content on Instagram. So we decided to connect so he could share his story, and we had a great conversation about his movement journey, daily habits, um, and some principles that he uses to guide him in his training. Really enjoyed the chat with John, and I hope you find it valuable. This episode of the show is sponsored by TFC App. With a global tribe of over 100 foot nerds, we set out to create a platform that allows the tribe to share our collective learning journey and inspire others to live a more natural lifestyle. The app is free and includes content like videos, audio, um, you know, audio podcasts, books, recipes, and it's all curated by our tribe. The mission with TSC app, simplify health and deliver clarity through the noise of the internet. If you head to the website, thefootcollective.app, you can either use the web version or the iOS version. This episode of the podcast is also brought to you by the Roasters Pack. Our team at TFC head office are big fans of coffee before 11 a.m. And this Canadian company offers a really cool subscription service that gives you three great coffees to your door each month. And they also give you the story behind each of the craft roasters that the beans come from. You can check out theroasterspack.com, use the code FOOT at checkout, and you'll get seven bucks off your first month of any subscription, which starts at 27 a month all in, including shipping and taxes. So it's less than a buck a cup, which is pretty good value. Last but not least, this spot, this podcast that is sponsored by our travel partner, Nanook Protective Hard Cases, which we use to transport gear to and from seminars. They make super high quality hard cases in Canada that keep your electronics safe during travel. And you can check out their stuff at nanook.com, N-A-N-U-K.com. That's it for sponsors. Let's dig into this episode. Hope you enjoy. It's the TFC Audio Project. Hello, friends. Welcome to the show. My guest today on this episode of Health Conversations is John Lindsay, aka The Movement Journey on Instagram. Uh, John puts out great content. He's got a super impressive uh, movement practice. And after connecting with him to be part of our, our footwear testing squad, uh, I figured he would be a super interesting human to have a conversation with and share some stories. So John, thanks for taking the time this morning and uh, welcome to the show. Yes, sir. Thank you so much for having me. Excited to be on. No worries, man. So maybe let's start with... You know, John and I, just as an aside, John and I literally had our first conversation 10 minutes ago, just saying hi to each other before we hit record. So um, my ears will be fresh to this as well, but maybe start by just sharing with the world who John Lindsay is, where you're from, and what gets you out of bed every morning. Um, so I'm from, I'm John Lindsay. I'm 31 years old. I'm from Savannah, Georgia, and I've lived in Georgia since I was, let's see, 16. So I've been here for quite a while. Um nice. And I am a, a personal trainer by trade. My full-time gig is I'm the fitness director at a place just south of Savannah called the Ford Plantation. It's a, we call it a high-end sporting club. Um, it's a wealthier clientele that lives there. And I, my job is to manage the gym and also personal train members there. I'd say 90% of what I do is personal training. And then the 10%, other 10% is just some easy management tasks, kind of be the face of the uh, fitness center there. Awesome. Um, and then as kind of a side gig, I've grown an Instagram following. And from that, I've taken on some online clients for remote programming and also made some uh, different pre-made programs, sell those online. Um, and yeah, Powerful. very interested yeah, live- in the body weight movement side of fitness, I would say. Cool. And that's way more... I think I love that approach because it's, it's so uh, accessible to people, right? You don't need equipment. You don't need fancy stuff. You don't need a gym. You can just, if you have a little space, then you can start to work on building skill um, in whatever, you know, whatever meaning that means to each person. But um, yeah, I checked out the Ford Plantation website. It looks like an awesome facility, beautiful um, grass and, and cause they do golf and equestrian, like all the kind of country club style stuff, but it looks like they yeah, got a pretty good movement facility there as well. Yeah, we do. We're, uh, we're lucky. I haven't been there in a couple of weeks though, due to the, uh, COVID-19, but hoping to get right. back there soon. Nice. Nice. And it's, I mean, we live in a crazy world where you're literally connected to everyone on the planet, um, uh, if they can find you. And I think it makes for, you know, a very interesting, um, interesting time where if you have something that people can get value, if you can deliver value to people, then you're not limited locally by being in the same location, physical location, uh, for people to be able to get that value. And so things like online programs, um, it just opens up a massive market and, and expands your reach so much. It's it, I'm still, 
sometimes you sit down and think about it. You're like, holy shit, this is a crazy time. And it, it, it just kind of like weaseled its way in. So it's easy to take for granted, but it's, it is really cool. And you feel that in times like this where you can't be physically next to someone, but you can still connect with anyone. So. I know that's awesome. And my, my personal movement practice wouldn't be probably anything like it is now without, without those sort of resources and being able to connect with uh, like-minded people and people that I see that can do cooler stuff than I do and reaching out <laughs> to them, getting programming from them, figuring out where they got their program, all that stuff. So um, nice. without, without all this technology, I wouldn't be able to do the things I can do. That's for sure. Right. And it's, it's, um, like anything, it's a tool, right? When you can connect with people remotely, it's really easy to, to just do that sometimes. And you got to find a physical balance of like use, um, technology to absorb wisdom from people, but then apply it in your own experience. And I think, you know, just like any tool can be used for the wrong purposes. I think sometimes people get roped into, you know, Instagram or the internet and can, it can take away from the experience or take away from connecting with people in person. Cause it's just so easy to just spend an hour on your phone and be like, what the hell have I just done for an hour? Um, but when you find the balance, it's, it's, it can be good. So how did you, well, number one, when did you start your Instagram and, and what made you choose that name? What was the inspiration for choosing the movement journey? So before I was the movement journey, I think my name was John Lindsay fitness or something like that. Fitness right. John Lindsay. Um, and I mean, that's just what I was, that's just what I was gravitating towards was uh, body weight movements, developing better mobility within my body so I could pursue skills that demanded that mobility. Um, and to me, it just made sense of a name. I liked the term movements better than uh, like fitness or working out. Um, mm -hmm. I like calling my physical practice a movement practice. Um, definitely inspired by Ido Portal. Um, but I, I just found that that word movement um, describes what I like to physically pursue better than fitness or working out or even training. So, right. I, Cause it, yeah, it's a way, it's a way broader uh, term and it just allows, cause when people think exercise, they automatically have this, um, this box that they reach for where it's like, okay, well this is exercise. This is exercise. Well, I don't know what that is. I don't think that's exercise, but I don't really know what it is. And so movement just allows you the freedom to any way that you can use your body to interact with the natural environment as a form of movement. Like brushing your teeth is movement. Um, you know, any, and yeah, I think it's just a great name and I love the journey part too, because it sort of implies that like, it's a, it's a process. And you know, when did your, when was the shift from, and if there even was a shift where you went from more uh, fitness and kind of, I guess, exercise to more the movement side of things? Like, was there, an, was there a time where you're like, where you pivoted or someone that inspired you to pivot? How did that go? Yeah, so I, I went to undergrad for, I did a bachelor's in exercise science, so very fitness oriented. And then I went to grad school and did a master's of science in sports medicine. So again, very fitness inspired. Um, and this whole time I'm working out in undergrad, I was, uh, a strength and conditioning intern work. I went to the university of Georgia and we, and I'd work out with the sports teams there. And then in grad school, I was a personal trainer and this whole time. So since I think I was 20 years old, I'm 31 now, um, probably between the ages of 20 and 23, 24, I was training people and showing them how to quote unquote, stretch, move better. And I had no idea how to do it myself. Like it was crazy. I was going to school for this, essentially this stuff, but really learning not how to improve mobility, how to stretch correctly, all this, all that stuff. And I just kind of started going down a rabbit hole. The term mobility, I think it started to get a little buzz in the fitness podcast world. Like the first thing I found was, um, if you're familiar with Kelly Starrett's mobility wad stuff. Yeah, for uh, sure. So went down a rabbit hole with that. And then from there, just kept going down. It started to, as I was committing time to actually doing mobility work, started to see a lot of progress in myself. So just kept finding more and more resources. Um, I mean, when I was 24, I couldn't squat to parallel in a resting squat or touch my toes. Interesting. Um, so I was, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't say I was broken, but my mobility was terrible. Um, oh. 
dude, I hear you. I went to, I went, the, I always tell people the best thing that I got out of physio school was having a body that was so messed up that it gave me a blank slate to start learning on. It wasn't, yeah. you know, I didn't, I had left with zero understanding of, you know, I left with under, with little, um, basically treating problems with band-aids and really a lack of understanding of what actually caused the problems or how to truly help people understand how to prevent the problems. You know, we sit in all of our physio classes. Uh, we learn rotator cuff, banded rotator cuff exercises, or at least when I went to school, which was, I finished in 2015. And I, I you know, you graduate and you're like, okay, well, I just paid a shitload of money. So this must be the truth because I'm learning from people that are smart. Sure. And, and you start practicing and you're like, this, I don't know if this is the right way. You know, and then and then you learn, and then same thing. You go down a rabbit hole. Um, I was inspired by Kelly Stratt really early on as well. His Supple Leopard book like blew my brain up because I was like, oh my god, we don't learn any of this in physio school. And started working on stuff myself. I'm like, holy shit, I suck at moving, and I thought I was a good mover. So, I think a lot of people's journeys start from a place of personal realization and then digging in themselves, and that is the best form of learning, not the education you get in school, but you know, I think there's the things with school, school teaches you hopefully how to uh, commit to something, work towards it and kind of um, create a system to achieve a goal, which I think is good. Um, it's an expensive way to learn that. But, um, but yeah, I think the learning journey starts with your own practice. And what does your practice look like now? Like what is John Lindsay's daily or weekly um, or I guess daily routine of, in terms of when you practice, how you practice, what does that look like? Uh, so every day is a little different cause I, um, I usually most days do what I would call two a day. Sometimes I do the work, the, the, the workout, uh, back to back, but I'll have a, a strength session and then a mobility session. Um, and so the strength sessions are two pushing workouts a day, two pulling workouts or a week rather. Uh, two push, two pulls, and two legs, leg sessions each week. And then mobility is a little different. I'm, my goals for mobility work are middle splits, um, smoother front splits, and then some different shoulder extensions, shoulder flexion, uh, slash bridge work for upper body. Um, and some of those I do just once a week. Some of those I do twice a week. So every day is a little different, but more often than not, it's one strength session and one mobility session, uh, usually about two and a half ish hours in total. Cool. And I like that you said your mobility, like the mobility goals that you had were positions or movements. And yes. I think a lot of people's mobility goal is, oh, I want more ankle mobility or I want better hip mobility. Well, I don't even think they know what that means, let alone have the ability to test whether they're there or not, right? Like it's almost seems like more mobility is the perpetual goal of some people's practice. And by connecting your mobility goal with a specific movement, uh, you have a really powerful metric to be able to measure your progress and see if what you're doing is working or not. So I, I love that. That's really, that's really important. I think. Oh yeah. Dev. I mean, it's like you just said, it's great to have that, uh, that measuring stick of, okay, am I getting closer? Is this stuff I'm doing? getting me closer to my goal. Let's test it and see. Yes, it is. Okay. I'll continue down this path or no, it's not. What can I tweak to get me to where I want to be? Cool. And what would you say are, um, what are the powerful lessons that you've learned in terms of your practice in terms of either the way, um, that you train or when you train or, you know, like what are some powerful lessons, uh, where someone say someone's just starting their movement journey and they're like, John, if you could talk to yourself 10 years ago, what would you tell yourself to really fast track some learning curves that of, in terms of lessons that you've learned over time, but you could easily get like on a silver platter? What would be the big lessons that you've learned? I mean, nothing fancy. I think it's consistency and trusting the process. Like a lot of the stuff I work on, you probably work on, like let's take maybe the handstand, for example. I mean, I used to, before I really diligently was like, okay, I want to get this, I would do like a sort of bro style upper body workout, a lot of chest press, bicep curls. And then the last five to 10 minutes of my workout, I'd be like, all right, let me try to kick up into a handstand uh, eight or 10 times and see what happens. That would be how I would like prioritize it. And then eventually I was like, as I learned more about uh, the process of getting a handstand, I was like, oh my gosh, this needs to be the priority. This is 
this should be numero uno in my um, and how I'm programming stuff for this upper body day or whatever day I'm working on. Uh, and the same can be said for a lot of the mobility positions. We were just naming the split work. It's that's the priority. It's um, putting what you want to what you want to get towards as the number one thing you do in a workout. So, and then trusting the process and being consistent with it. Like if you are not, if you're like, Oh, I'll do this today. And then two weeks later, let me dabble on it again. Like you're never going to get anywhere. So, and the yeah. more you force those habits, the easier it is to get up and be like, all right, it's split day. Let's get on it. So powerful dude, consistency and trusting the process. Those are, those are kind of what come to my brain as well. And it, it, it's so true. People assume that they're just going to own positions or own movements without really putting in the work to actually get there. Like they don't, everyone's got this like short term mindset of like, okay, I want to do this. Well, I'm just going to do a little bit of it and it's just going to happen. But I think they just underestimate like your body does adapt, but it takes progressive adaptation and recovery and reevaluating what you're doing every day um, to make sure that you're actually like is what you're doing aligning with what you want to be able to achieve. And I think for a lot of people, it's like they almost lose, um, they almost lose like this desire or motivation because they're not seeing results. And they think that it's just their body is not able to get those results when, when they, sometimes all you need to do is just evaluate what you're doing and tweak it slightly um, and have that end goal test retest that you can verify whether you're getting closer to that goal or not. Like the splits, side splits, either you got it or you don't. And if you get closer to it, you can see, oh, okay, well, the work I'm putting in is contributing towards that goal. And, um, and people just overcomplicate things, I think, in general. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think the biggest, uh, when I chat with people who are trying to do similar things to me, and I'm like, well, explain, or they want to train with me online. I'm like, explain to me your current practice. And it's usually they're just not consistent with the work. Like they, like I just described they're they're going two weeks before they're doing this same hip mobility drill again. And it's, it takes consistency to really see progress. And especially when you're doing skill training, it, this is probably one of the things that isn't too, isn't fun about it. Those breakthrough, um, moments where you progress the skill and it's noticeable or you get a skill you've been wanting to get for a long time those days are sadly few and far between um, right. and they're even more few and far between if you're not being consistent so but when you do hit something you've been working towards it's just an incredible feeling and it's it makes it all worth it right and i think sometimes people even focus too much on on those breakthrough moments where that's what they place their happiness and their motivation on when in reality, it's like, that's kind of the cherry on top, but creating the whole Sunday, like the process is at, you have to find joy in the process. And I think that just comes from, from just experience, like doing it and knowing that every single day you put in the work, you might not be able to see these frame shift changes in, in whatever you're trying to work towards, but the slightest bit of daily progress makes massive differences. And that's what gets you to the cherry. And I, I just, yeah, sometimes people are like, Oh, I can't do this yet. So I don't, I don't really feel like training today because I can't do this yet. It's like, well, it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you're not doing the work, you're never going to get to the goal. You have to find enjoyment in the work. Cause that is, that's what it's all about. It's all about the process. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think this like whole philosophy of, uh, this is a Japanese philosophy called Kaizen, which is constant incremental improvement. And I think especially in the world of social media where you see people doing all these crazy things, like you see the end result, but what you don't see often and what I love about your uh, content that you put out is breaking down a skill into components and then putting in the work every day on those individual components to make constant incremental improvements towards your goal. And um, I think it's just a mindset shift in you know, this world is such the delay of gratification in this world is super weak, I think, because <laughs> you can literally pull out your phone and have whatever you want, see whatever you want. And so just having the patience to really work on something and put in the work because most days, as fun as training is, most days, you just have to put in the work. And, uh, and I think same thing, just being consistent and prioritizing. It's not just what you do, it's doing it every day and enjoying putting in the work every day. So, um, yeah. 
what are your, what are like the main, I guess, pillars that you would consider in a physical practice? Like the main elements, like you talked about a few strength, mobility. Uh, is there anything else that you would put into that basket? Uh, well, I think it's, if you're looking at your body, I think it's centered around a body that moves well. So what I mean by that is let's take, what are your weaknesses? And that could be your shoulders don't move well. It could be your hips don't move well. If you're looking at it from a mobility standpoint, um, it could also be maybe I suck at hand-eye coordination. Um, maybe I'm not very, very quick or something like that. Where are your key weaknesses? Maybe you're just not strong at all. Like um, you don't have any physical strength. Um, look at your weaknesses and build on them. So for everyone, that's going to be a little different. Um, but I think it's when you really break down what your weaknesses are and you work on them, like getting them better is a, uh, that's the key. So figuring out what those weaknesses are, whether it's on mobility, whether it's on strength, whether it's on hand-eye coordination, something like that, um, and working to getting those better. Yeah. Cause it's always fun to work on shit you're good at. <laughs> and totally. it's like, I remember when I was like even younger playing rugby, I would always do the things in the gym that I was good at and I would ignore the things that I sucked at. And and then eventually the things you're not good at become the rate limiting step for the things that you actually are, are doing, the things you are good at. So yeah, I think just being honest with yourself and identifying the things that require work um, is a really powerful element to just global progress comes from addressing the weakest link. And sometimes yeah, totally. those aren't even on people's radar, I think sometimes. And the hardest um, part about that is that sort of stuff when you're really keen in on a weakness, um, like something like hand-eye coordination is a great, is, is a great example here. Um, like if you have no idea how to juggle, that process of learning how to juggle even a couple like tosses up in the air is so mentally frustrating. Yeah. Um, and to get over that hump takes just kind of grinding it out, grinding it out and just making kind of a mental shift like, all right, I'm going to embrace this process and get better. Um, and that just takes habitual change, like oh, essentially forcing it and getting into it. And then eventually you get better and it's easier. And then you, you change the stimulus and you suck at something else. <laughs> yeah. People sometimes like, uh, will ask, what is your training? Like, I'm like, well, I find something that looks cool and fun to be able to do. I work at it when I'm good at it. I find something new that I suck at that would look like it's something fun to do. <laughs> it's like, it's like started all over. Yeah, exactly. And there's something very humbling about just the joy of having a white belt mentality and seeing a blank slate of like, now I can really, now I can learn something completely different. That's way outside of my realm of competence. But I know that if I put in the work and embrace the process, then you have to be resourceful. I think too, that's something where if you're doing something and it's not working, you have to know that, okay, I need to take a different approach or I need to do something differently. Cause if I keep doing the same shit and expect things to end differently, it's kind of a, a really shitty way of thinking. Um, and so like, cause a lot of some of your stuff, uh, looks very playful. And is that something like, do you even think of play, um, as an element in and of itself, or do you just sort of, or do you just have a mindset of playing with challenges? Um, totally. Yeah. And I should have, I should have mentioned that when you asked me about my just personal practice, I definitely have, um, unscheduled what I would quote unquote play days all the time where I'm just, maybe I'm messing with some tennis balls. Maybe I'm doing some locomo like a uh, improv locomotion work, just kind of flowing from movement to movement. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I love that. I love kind of, uh, improv movement where I'm like, all right, I've got an hour. I don't know what I'm going to do, but let's just get outside and kind of see what happens, uh, warm the body up and go from there. I, I love that. I think it's so much fun. And there's a lot of, a lot of times I'll kind of unlock a skill or I'll do something I've never done before. And it's a lot of breakthrough movement uh, moments can happen um, when you're just out playing. Yeah. Oh dude, that's so important. And I think we've done this weird thing where, you know, on the work play continuum, you got work on one end. It's, you're doing something as a means towards a goal. It's not really enjoyable, but you have to do it. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you got play, which is like exploratory, creative, unstructured. It, it's not a means to an end. It is the means. It's intrinsically motivating. You do it because it's fun. And I think there's a place for both ends of the continuum. But I think in general, the world of fitness and training 
has really swayed hard towards the work end of the continuum. And I think that's playing into people's sometimes lack of motivation to actually move because they're just so structured, right? It's the same thing. It becomes monotonous. And I think not that there's only play or only work, but like rebalancing the continuum and making sure that you have some days where it's like, I'm not going to count reps. I'm not going into this with any expectations. I'm just going to look at a basket of toys and pick one to play with and just, and just roll on something. And, um, and sometimes those are, you're right. Sometimes like really powerful breakthroughs in terms of like stimulating a creative thought that might change your training in a way, um, can be super powerful. And I think you're, I see more and more of it now, like in general in the fitness community. But I think when we get more, when we embed more play into the world, into the people's meaning of fitness, I think people are just going to rediscover a joy of movement that, you know, they're not, they're no longer only moving to change their body. They're moving to explore their body and just like for the joy of it. Um, and we got so much to learn from kids in that respect because they just move because they love it. They're always smiling. Like not a lot of people smile anymore when they work out. It's weird. Yeah. And I, I will say this, I think for someone like I, I, I'm guessing we're probably close in age, uh, for yep, people age, like learning how to play again is definitely like almost a skill. Like it takes, like we were describing skill work earlier, it takes effort and consistency of taking time to go play to kind of get good at it essentially. Like, um, or yeah, be more comfortable being able to do it and you're um, building your movement capacity where you can play in different positions. You can do different movements and stuff that all takes, I don't want to say, I guess effort is the word it takes effort and repetition get, getting out there. And then your play is more, the movements are more expansive. You're doing different stuff. It's not like, like I try to get friends to go work out with me where we're just doing an improv play day and they, have no idea what to do i have to be like all right do this move do that move there is no they don't have the uh kind of natural flow to it so that does that does take a little bit of work but it's so much fun once you uh kind of get lost in it right and we it's funny we actually started these uh play sessions at the clinic i used to at the physio clinic i used to work at where we literally just put about a bunch of stuff out there like we'll have clubs or maces or beams or punching bag or whatever and we get an adult, like a group of adults coming in at different ages. And then we'll have a physio just literally supervise the play session. And it's incredible how you can see um, these different mindsets that people carry. Someone will come in and they'll just start messing around. They'll, they'll explore. They're like, they don't need any guidance because they just are, have this creative mindset. of I'm just going to interact with all these different toys and see what I come up with. And other people are like, well, what do I do on this? What should I do? And it's like, well, what do you feel like doing? Like people literally have to be given permission to just play and not, and not be afraid of what they look like. Or, and even in our seminars, we embed way more play now than we used to. And, and you're right. People literally have to be retaught how to play because we've just, as adults, we've forgotten what play is, especially play where you're interacting with another person through touch. And, but the cool part is once you see people get into it, like, it's almost like you just you just pulled the child out of them where they're smiling, they're laughing, they're making fun of each other. And it's like, it's a really different mindset than their usual, I think, um, their usual vision of what a gym or what a workout uh, looks like. So sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, keystone habits. I always ask people about these. So I guess number one is what is, what does your morning look like? And do you have a routine that you do in the morning or, and has that been refined over time? Like, what does the first two hours of John Lindsay's day look like? Um, so on a normal day, this, this past couple of weeks have been a little odd. Um, just, I'm not going into work. So, but a normal, I'll describe a normal work day for me. Uh, usually I get up about 4, 4.30. Um, and I'll immediately get up, drink some water, and then I'll do functional range conditioning's cars routine. I'm sure you're familiar with that. Um, yeah. So that's about... 10 maybe 12 minutes uh then i'll get some coffee i'll get in my car and i'll go to work because i get a workout in before i train people mm-hmm. um and that's kind of my time no one's if anyone's in the gym it's maybe one or two other people but it's quiet no one's bothering me um i usually listen to a podcast while i'm training for about an hour hour and a half uh and then by 7 a.m i'm i'm six, sometimes 6 30 I'm, I'm training with people. So not a super 
structured morning routine, but it's immediate movements with cars and then, uh, well, hydrate before that, immediate movement with cars, some coffee, and then into a either mobility or strength session. Powerful. That I mean, you say not that structured, but <laughs> mobility for 10 or 12 minutes. Uh, <laughs> like it's, it's always interesting to hear um, how, like when, when I ask the question to people, how does your morning start? The people who are like, well, you know, the people who have a routine tell you right away. They're like, well, I'll tell you what I do because they know it. They do it every day. The reps are there. And yeah. I think it's like all people that get shit done or are having a big impact. seems like they all wake up early. And they all have some sort of ritual every day, whether it's cars or like you said, hydrating, coffee, whatever. Uh, I think that's really like, I personally find that the first hour of my day dictates how the rest of my day goes. If I have a shitty first hour, if I hit snooze, if I'm not, if I, like usually I'll get out of bed, drink a bottle of water, go for a walk right away to wake my brain up. And if I don't do that or I half-ass it, then the rest of my day almost has like this cloud over it where it's like, I don't know. It's one of those things where the morning is, has been over time. I've discovered to be an amazingly powerful time because you're right. There's no one else there. Like you literally have peace. There's no one calling you, texting you, um, talking to you. And if someone's in the gym at that time in the morning, like you said, they're probably in the same mindset. So they're not really talking. They're not being antisocial. They're just having their own time, which is probably why they went so early. Um, yeah, sure. Sure. Yeah. Um, I think, but it, I will say it's been nice. I mean, the past three weeks, I have not gone into work because of the uh, coronavirus. Um, and I have like my fiance and I will, I'll do my cars in the morning. We'll pour coffee and we'll go on a walk, which has been fantastic. Um, and I'll also sit down and look at my workout for the day. Look at what I did previously for that workout and like, all right, let me make some notes here on stuff to pay attention to as I'm working through this. So I've been able to, I've loved getting the walk in and I've also been able to really take a look at what I'm going to be working on today and be like, all right, how can I build on my last session? So that extra time has been great, but um, there's no way I'll get up earlier than 4 a.m. Uh, <laughs> when I am, when I am wor- actively uh, working. So, Gotcha. Yeah. And it's, and do you, uh, do you wake up with an alarm clock? I do. I do. Sometimes I get up, just just before it goes off but i mean that's i definitely need that safety net yeah me too it's like if you if you i'm the same way if i have it i'll oftentimes and it's sometimes really weird like five minutes before two minutes before it's like this strange thing where if the alarm clock is on my brain knows to wake up but if the alarm clock wasn't on a lot of times like i won't sleep as well because i'll i'll (laughs) like the night before i'm like shit i hope i wake up on time so it's just you're right. It's a safety net. And knowing that it's there is almost more important than, than its purpose in the morning anyway. Um, yeah, totally. And then what about, uh, what about like nighttime? Like what time do you go to sleep? If you're waking up at four, what time do you go to bed at? And is there some sort of routine that you go through at night uh, to get into sleep mode? Um, I try to get in bed. I mean, as early as possible. So that could be anywhere between 7.30 and ideally 8.15, um, Cool. No, any later than that, I'm a little disappointed, but sometimes it does happen. Um, and I'd say the only nighttime routine we have is we, I do like, I like to read in bed. I read off a Kindle. Um, that just puts me to sleep. Cool. Like 20 to 30 minutes of reading, maybe a little even less. Uh, but other than that, totally blacked out room, cold room. Um, we even have a, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with a chili pad. It's yeah, like, I've heard of those. Yes. It's very nice. Cause both my fiance and I are definitely hot natured people. So the chili pad just circulates like as very thin tubing through a sheet that just circulates cool water underneath your, uh, not underneath your mattress, but underneath your, um, your body. Your, your, yeah. Um, and so that's really nice. So cold room blacked out. Uh, minimal. I try to go stay out and get on my phone as little as possible before I go to bed, but sometimes it's impossible. Just, I need to check emails. I need to check messages. It'll right. save me work in the morning. Um, but yeah, I'm a, I'm a good sleeper, I would say. So once I'm like done reading, I'm usually out in a couple minutes stops. Cool. And has it always been that way? Have you always been a good sleeper? Um, Going back to college, probably not just because my days uh, were a little more inconsistent, like staying up later to do various things. But 
um, the past probably six, seven years where I've had a really consistent schedule and I've been diligent about that schedule, it's, it's pretty easy. Um, when you're getting up early, your body's done by 7, 38 o'clock. I'm so mentally drained that I'm like, I, I can't wait to lay down. Yeah. Yeah. I always tell people like when you earn your sleep, sleep is a beautiful, beautiful yes. thing. And I think, you know, a lot of people when you're moving, uh, you're, you're essentially pumping out adenosine into your body's circulation, which is what generates sleep pressure to, to make you drowsy. And the thing is, if you're not moving, you're not really boosting that adenosine production. Plus if you're having caffeine later in the day, you're inhibiting adenosine. So people, you know, I hear this all the time. People are like, yeah, I go to sleep early, but I can't get to, I go to bed early, but I can't get to sleep. And it's like, well, if you didn't move all day, you're kind of trying to go to bed with a full battery of energy and your body's yeah. not really. And then if you're, and then half those people are like, yeah, so I just, I go on my, I watch TV or I go on my laptop. It's like, okay, well then you're tricking your brain into thinking it's daytime because of the, you know, like it's, it's all these things that have worked their way into culture that we don't really think are obstacles to things like sleep. And I think, you know, what we've realized by starting to teach things like just tips about sleep hygiene and like just easy things um, is that people just are generally unaware that those things are negatively affecting these, their sleep. Like they just identify with a label of, I am a bad sleeper. And what they don't realize is what they really should be saying is, I don't know how to optimize my body to actually sleep well. And uh, yeah, like is sleep something that you talk about uh, with your clients? Like are you, um, are they mostly coming for just like the physical side or is that a, is that a topic of conversation? It's definitely a topic of conversation. I wouldn't, I don't uh, like program or give like uh, guidelines for them to work off of. But if anyone ever mentions like, Hey, I'm, I'm dragging it. I didn't sleep well. And we, we just dive into it through natural conversation while training. I always give advice like, Hey, I mean, shut the TV off at least maybe an hour, two hours if you can before you're going to shut it down. Try to get off the computer. I mean, as, as far away from bedtime as you can. I mean, all that stuff. Uh, and it's crazy because some people find that they just look at you funny, like, what? Like, that's just normal life. I can't not <laughs> do that. Um, and a lot of people, the idea of having to change their lifestyle to uh, hopefully make their sleep more optimal just sounds so, I honestly, probably ridiculous to some that they wouldn't even do it. And they'll just go, all right, let me go get a prescription for something and I'll just... Right. That's what I need. That's the natural thing to do here. So. <laughs> yeah, I, I am lucky. A lot of the people I work with in person are very, they're super educated people. And when we discuss stuff like this, they totally get it. So yeah, when people are open-minded and, and I love that you said too, we just talk about it in conversation and that's kind of like our whole approach at TFC is we're not teaching. We're not claiming to know secrets that we're teaching. We're just sharing what we've learned along our journey for the, in hopes that it might give someone that's open-minded an idea of something to try themselves. And when you're just sharing what you've discovered in terms of sleep and what you do before bed, um, it's, you're just inviting someone to try something. And if they're open-minded and they have faith that you know what you're talking about, when they actually try it and it works, they prove it to themselves. And I think like sleep is a friggin' superpower. And for people, it's sometimes you don't realize it if you sleep well, um, but when, like I notice when I travel and I get really shitty sleep, I notice how many things are just sluggish, whether it's thinking patterns or energy or whatever. Um, it's like, you almost don't know what you have until you don't have it. And I think most people's norm is just feeling low energy and having to crank up a, a bunch of caffeine in the morning to just like get the engine going. And I think people have, it's almost been normalized to just wake up tired like that's just the normal and yeah. people don't realize that, well, actually you can wake up with a lot more energy and a lot more refreshed, but waking up and having a lot of energy starts the night and the day before by having a day where you're actually moving, by having a night where you're doing the right stuff, sleeping in the right bedroom, like the amount of people that have a ton of lights. I went into um, a friend of mine's room once and he had like a screensaver on his laptop with bright lights was firing all night long. And oh like an alarm God. clock was, was flashing. I'm like, dude, there's a light show in your bedroom. You need, like, it should just yeah. be dark. And he, just, he just didn't know. And then now he's like, dude, I sleep way better. And he made it a bit cooler. I mean, cold, not 
as much of a problem in Ottawa, Canada as it is in Savannah, Georgia, but it still gets pretty hot in the summer. So I can definitely, I might have to try one of those chili pads. Oh, they're, they're highly recommend. They're awesome. I've even started, I've, uh, I had noticed there was a couple, like, like I sleep with a fan beside my bed and there was a like little just led light, like green light coming off of it. And for months I was like, there's no way this is bothering me, but I took a piece <laughs> of black electrical tape and put it over the, uh, the, where the light shines out. And I, th- I think it's definitely helped. And that was the only like little bit of illumination that was coming into our bedroom. So. Wow. Yeah. It's, I don't know. I've had those too. And sometimes part of me feels like if I think it's bothering me, it's going to bother me. So I just may as well tape over it. So it's not even on my radar. Yeah. I think, I think I have the exact same mindset. (laughs) Any other, um, any other big keystone habits, like habits that you just find are so important that trickle in and have a massive effect on your days. Like you said, drinking water first thing in the morning. And is that something you've done for a long time or that you started to do because of something, you know, a conversation you had or someone you learned from? Um, I don't I'm sure I initially learned that from someone who that was. I mean, so many people have preached about uh, hydrating early in the morning. I don't know where it would have come from, but right. I mean, I do drink probably eight to 10 ounces of water. I don't know what the exact amount is. Go right into my cars. And I do that before I do anything before coffee, before even brushing my teeth. And that's kind of like two things I've got to do that I think I don't call them like wins because they're so instilled in my, in my uh, like natural habits that I would do them. Like it's like sleepwalking. Basically I just get up and start doing it, but it's, if I don't do those, my day is just kind of off. So those are definitely two things I've got to do. Um, and I'm, I'm someone I, I don't want to say I'd never take a rest day, but I always have to do some sort of movement every day. Like, even if it's like, let me just do 20 to 30 minutes of a little tennis ball work and spinal waves. Like if I don't get a quote unquote, like session in, I just feel a little off. Cause that's, that's just such a part of me is to have, a, have some set amount of time where I'm getting some physical practice in. So even if it is a rest day, I'm still going to be doing something like I can't not do that. And, uh, it just makes my day feel better. I feel a little more mentally alert after moving. Um, so that's always a necessity, regardless if it's the weekend or what. Yeah, I agree. And it doesn't, and like those times where you, you don't feel, you don't feel you need to, you want to, because you know, you're going to feel better after it. And, you know, even I think some people, even just a good walk is a good dose of movement. And I think a lot of people underestimate how powerful like a walk can be where you're just, you know, no phone, no nothing, just go for a half an hour walk. And it, it seems too simple to be effective and really helpful. But, you know, I used to, I never used to think a walk would, was that effective. But now it's like, whether it's a mental reset or just a, a time to get outside and have some time to yourself, it's it, even just simple movements like walking can be super powerful. Um, I totally agree. Yeah, it's almost, I'd describe a walk like that as just refreshing. Like it just feels good. Like, uh, yeah. Body feels more awake, definitely a little more mentally sharper. You always come up with good ideas when you're walking without any sort of, without a phone or anything like that with you. Yeah. And someone recently on a podcast talked about walking as this state of uh, active idol. So you're, you are moving, but walking is such a background program that it leaves a shitload of brain space available to, you know, problem solve or think through uh, it's almost like a really powerful form of active meditation, I think. Um, and I like the term active idol because, yeah, it is. I use it as a tool for getting out of a funk if I'm trying to work on a problem and I'm just not solving it. Sometimes a good walk um, can be the difference. And you're like, oh, shit, that's what I need to do. And without even making any effort towards it, you know, these background problems that are running in your brain can sometimes like just get solved when you're in that active idol state. So, yeah, cool. I, I completely agree. I've had a lot of moments like that. Nice. Now, in terms of social media, so social media is a weird world. Um, and I've, I'm, I'm sure you probably have a similar story, but you know, over time you kind of learn how, how to use it in a way that's healthy and how to use it in a way, um, you know, that gives you like you basically, I've had to learn how to use social media instead of being just thrown around like a rag doll by social media. And I think as you're, engagement with it 
increases as the amount of people that want to contact you or ask you questions increases. Like, do you have a routine for social media in terms of how frequently you get back to people in terms of messages or comments? Like, I'd be curious to know, like, what is your social media daily quote unquote routine? If you even have one. Um, nothing like set in stone or structured, but I mean, I do try to, at least every other day kind of go through message requests that I have and just see what they are. And if it's something I can answer easily, I'll answer it right on the spot. But if it's something that I'm like, okay, let me try to think about this for a second, figure out, cause everyone's mindset on, I mean, I'm getting a lot of like movement mobility questions right. and it's everyone's mindset on human movement is different. So, um, if it's kind of a more complicated question, I'll just leave it in my unread request and I'll be like, let me get back to that. I'm sure I'll have a better answer later. So when, when I do have time, let me sit down and go through these uh, 10 or 12 that I've been neglecting and try to give them at least a decent answer. Um, cool. If it's something ridiculous and I'll just delete it. Uh, nothing, <laughs> nothing structured though. I mean, I, tr I try to be as nice as I can. Yeah, I think being nice is is big and it feels just as good to be nice as it does to be nice too. So I think it's, um, yeah, I just, I know people that are on social media and it seems like it's consuming them and it's like, there needs to be a balance where you're not always checking it. If every time you get a message, you're checking it, it's going to drive you nuts when you get to a certain amount of people following you. And it's, um, but it is a super powerful tool. I mean, that gives you a microphone, a loudspeaker to inspire a shitload of people. Like, like it's kind of like you're on a pedestal with X amount of thousand people around you every day. And it's, you know, if you use it for good or in a way that gives people value, which can even result in them looking for your services and, and paying you to thank you for your value. Um, super powerful tool, but it can be a slippery one sometimes. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and I think like sometimes if, uh, like an easy example is like, I'll do something and someone will say like, that's a terrible exercise for your knee or whatever <laughs> kind of uh, being used in the movement. And my initial response is like, oh, I'm going to get a little heated. But then I think like, okay, if this was me five, six years ago, I probably would have thought the same thing. So right. those kind of moments, I always take a breath. And I, if I do respond, I always try to be nice. And if I'm not going to change their mind, so be it. It usually, usually ends up being a friendly conversation. So, Right. And most of the, I always take those points. It's like if, if you do something and someone's like, that's terrible for your knee, immediately what goes through my brain is that is probably terrible for their knee, right? right. Like they're, they're giving you, they're, they're putting their experience or their feelings and blanketing it to everyone. Oh, everyone has the same movement capacity as me. So that's a really bad movement to do. And it's like, well, let's talk about it. And I think it's, that's one thing where if you create meaningful discussion from what can initially be just like a reactive comment, um, you find oftentimes that those people that, that might kind of blurt that out initially, you actually agree with them on a lot of stuff. It's just, there's no context, like a little snippet, a video and a little description on Instagram is never going to align with what everyone's viewpoints are. But um, yeah, there's so much. And that's where podcasts I think are nice is you can actually develop some context around a topic. Um, even something very, very narrow and like, should your knees go over your feet when you squat? It's like, well, let's talk about that. Cause it's not a black or white answer. And you know, there's some context to explore there. And it's kind of, I think podcasts or even like uh, videos where you kind of unpack a topic are very helpful for people to just realize that, you know, there's a lot of gray in between the black and the white. And sometimes, um, it's easy to think that someone is just saying this is good for you by posting it. But I think a lot of times it's like, well, this is good for me right now based on what I've worked on. And it's hard to convey that sometimes. Exactly. People don't know the process behind the, uh, the 15 second video or whatever, whatever it is. So and that's usually what gets explained. And a lot of times it ends up being a good conversation. So, but the initial reaction is always like, Oh, this person there, they're trying to throw shade at me or something, but you, you take a breath and you, you think back to what you used to think and then kind of go from there. Yeah. Very true. Now, how is the, I mean, obviously you're not working during this time if the clubs closed down, but you know, in your personal life, is there anything 
that was really affected with this whole situation of not being able, like kind of the whole world got put on pause while we figured this shit out. And it's like, is there anything that really got disrupted in your personal life or are there any daily habits that you've started to do now to, to, I guess, improve, uh, you know, coping through this thing and, and have you even been affected a huge amount? Um, I'd say, I mean, I don't want to say it's been a positive here because I feel bad for so many people, but I mean, it's been nice actually for me to get this sort of free time because where I, I work at Ford, it's, this is the busy, busy time of the year. Like a lot of people that are living there now, it's their second or third home. So they're, they're here this time of the year when it's really nice weather. Um, so that's why I was getting up at 4am. Like I'd work till five most days, like. 6.30 or 7 to 5, pretty long days. Um, and so it's honestly been nice to be able to work on personal things uh, like related to my own personal website, Instagram, all that stuff, developing programs, remote programming for people. Um, so it's been nice to have the free time to work on that. And I'm, I'm still doing stuff uh, um, remotely for members at the Ford Plantation as well. So that's been nice to stay connected to them. Um, nice. So I haven't really been affected. I mean, we, my fiance and I are lucky to have a nice little outdoor space with all the training stuff we need. Um, we still go on walks daily, uh, which has been nice. And we're still eating really good food. So, um, and I'm Dude, sleeping. Your, your charcuterie boards make me drool sometimes. I'm like, God damn, oh I gotta God. step up my charcuterie level game. <laughs> She's a whiz at that stuff. That's, <laughs> none of that is my doing. Yeah. You just do the eating, right? Yes, exactly. The hand model. Yeah. 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 The Guinea pig. Um, all right, cool. Well, just to wrap up, what are, um, what are the big inspirations that you've had or people or, um, it could be a book, it could be a person, um, that have kind of guided you or, or kind of shifted your path along the way. Um, from a mobility standpoint, I mean, functional range conditioning, just that whole, that whole group of, I guess you would say people that was, that was an awesome experience for me. I think I went to one of their workshops four or five years ago. Uh, and that was just before that I was kind of into the mobility wad stuff. And I think the FRC stuff just kind of took it to another level and opened my eyes to just how you can train the body. Um, so definitely that. I mean, Ido Portal has been a big influence as well. I've been to a few workshops him and his uh, students have put on. They're always fantastic. And their mindset on just human movements, uh, moving daily, all that stuff is super inspiring. Um, my favorite book is pr- related to movement is probably Exuberant Animal. I don't know if you've read that one. Yeah, I've, dude, I've read all of Frank's stuff. He is a he yeah, is such a powerful all. writer. That's in. I can't believe Exuberant Animal is in a more well known book. It's. Uh, I know. I agree. It sums up like uh, how people. What it sums up basically what we were kind of discussing earlier. What like people def- think is normal. Um, all this technology, different habits and stuff. So it's that was that was an huge eye-opening book i love that i've read it twice um beautiful practice is a really good one too and he it kind of uh redefines what um what a practice is and instead of just you know movement or the mind it's like everything it's like your life is a practice and it just blew my brain up of how broad of a how broad of a conversation you can have about the practice of humaning um yeah, it was, it's a really good book too. I'd recommend it. Yeah. But he just has, I think Frank, like that's the funny thing. And like you said, you're surprised that it's not a better known book. So was I when I read it. And, you know, we have, we started this foot nerd program, which is like a more in-depth education program. And one of the core textbooks that we include in the student packs is new old way by Frank. And okay. when I was going to order it, I was like, okay, well, I'll probably have to contact the publisher to get wholesale prices because I was going to buy a hundred of the books. And it ended up being that I contacted Frank himself and he's like, well, we don't really have that uh, program in place. So I'll just do an author order through Amazon and send you a hundred of them. Does that work? I was like, oh, okay. And I think guys like that are just so, 
like the wisdom they have is so powerful, but they're not the people that have the loudest voices on social media. They're not the people that are in the digital space. They're too busy living and being happy. And so it's, you know, we want to try and be a voice for people like that so that his wisdom can hit way more people that have no idea this dude even exists, but he's literally has so much good stuff to share about just taking a more holistic view of life as a whole. Um, yeah, that's interesting that you, that you mentioned that book. That's really cool. Yeah. And another, this kind of just piles onto what you're saying is when I first, I think I read exuberant animal maybe three or four years ago. And I always usually read on a Kindle and they didn't have a Kindle version, which blew my mind. I was like, how do they not have? <laughs> so I think his other books do, but that one for some reason did not. So I had to order the actual book, which uh, was cool. Yeah. And I think he, I think he did that purposely. Cause I think it's exuberant animal where at a certain parties, like this is a book that you keep in your pocket and yeah. you just use whenever you need to. So it's like, yeah, maybe he did that purposely. Who knows? Well, that's, that's why I've read it twice is because I just saw it sitting around one day and I was like, oh, I could read this again. So <laughs> if, it was, if it was on my Kindle, I wouldn't have thought of that. Nice, nice. Um, any movement that you're working on right now? You said you're working on, do you say middle splits? You're working a, at crisping that up? Um, mobility things, yeah, middle splits I do not have. So working towards getting like thighs to the floor, front splits, just smoothing it out. Um, being able to be more active in the bottom position, really own, own the movements. Um, a lot of bridge work. Uh, I'll work on some of that today and then cool. strength stuff. It's cleaning up handstand pushups. Mine are awful. Uh, and then progressing towards a one arm chin on the pulling stuff and lower body uh smoothing out the dragon squat again haven't been training it in a while so i picked that back up a couple days ago so, yeah i like the i like the uh the box regression video that you put because i think yeah. like most people look at splits and they're like that person's a freak uh, i will never be able to do that and it's this kind of narrow mindset of just thinking i can't i that person has some innate skill or something like that when in reality it's just well, no, that person just understands the process, just understands the stages that need to be done and is willing to put in the work. And uh, I just like, like when you put out that dragon squat regression, I think those videos are very important because it shows people the steps taken to get to the thing that everyone wants to do or thinks is really cool. Um, and like we have a, a foot nerd in Australia, he's a, he's a school teacher and he says it's crazy that he'll see kids look on Instagram and see like a backflip and they'll just try a backflip out of nowhere and they'll crack themselves super hard. And he's like, they just don't understand. There's a process to skill acquisition. <laughs> and I think the, you know, when he told me that I was like, Oh, that kind of sucks. But I was like, most people do that. They just don't even try the backflip. Like kids just don't have the fear yet, but most people are just like, well, I can't do that. It's too hard. It's like, well, if you wanted to put in the work, and you are actually willing to embrace the process, you could probably do a lot of shit that you have no idea is possible. Um, and yeah, I think totally. that's really what I appreciate about your, um, your content is like, it shows the process, the daily process. There might not be massive frame shift differences, but like, um, I think it's really powerful stuff, man. And, uh, yeah, I appreciate you taking the time this morning and, you know, maybe in a couple months we'll have another chat. I'd love to hear about, you know, what stuff you're working on and, uh, and thanks for being able to, you know, take one of those pairs of shoes and try them out and, and give us some feedback. You know, we really appreciate that. And uh, yeah, man, it was great connecting. Thanks for, thanks for taking the time this morning. Yeah. Thanks so much, Nick. I enjoyed it. Uh, and I look forward to putting more miles on those shoes or kilometers, whatever the correct <laughs> term would be. Some more, some more steps. There we go. Yeah. 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 Put them through their paces, like punish them. Cause we, you know, the whole thing with testing is like, how do they feel? How do they hold up when you beat them up pretty good? And once we find the holes, um, then we know where to patch them up. And it's just, it's not about having a perfect shoe. It's about constantly putting it through the gauntlet and figuring out what we need to do to make it better. And eventually, you know, embracing the process of creating a good product that's good for your body, good for the planet, um, and is a value is just like a process with anything, including movement. It's just a journey and you just got to keep Kaizen and the shit out of it, constant incremental improvement. And, uh, and you end up with something pretty cool. So yeah, I love that. <clears throat>
All right, brother. So if people want to reach you, you are the movement journey on Instagram. What other, um, like what's your website and how do people get in touch if they're interested in, in looking at what you're doing or, um, in your programs? Um, so probably the best place to reach me is on Instagram at the movement journey. I mean, from there you can hit my link and find my YouTube page. Got a lot of good progression videos there. Um, also would link you to my website, themovementjourney.com. Um, and also you'll see programs I've made, uh, hip mobility, shoulder stuff, bridge work, pistol squat stuff. Um, and if you have any questions, I mean, a message, an email through that you can find on Instagram or even a direct message is totally fine. I'd be happy to, uh, answer any questions. Cool, man. Good for you for being available to the people. And, uh, yeah, like I said, we'll get in touch down the road and I'd love to do it again. And, uh, Anyway, have a powerful day. And for everyone out there listening, I hope that conversation was helpful for you in some way in your life or, or shifted your way of thinking about something. Um, probably like the take home message from this one is just embrace the process and know that your body's adaptable as hell and can do what you ask it to do if you put in the right work. So thanks for listening. We'll catch you next week.